Amen. Sends the reading of God's word. Many times our stress, our fears, our anxieties come because we don't know the future. So all of us probably, most of us in this room, there's some that were excellent students. Most of us remember setting for an exam, sweating bullets, like, oh, what's going to happen here? I, I, just, I, I go in, I'm already wiped out because of fear, anxiety of what this test is going to do. Or think of other areas. Men, remember how nervous you were before you po- proposed to your bride? How anxious you were, the anxiety in your heart, you're breaking out in sweat, and it's December. We, we're afraid and we're filled with anxiety because we don't know what's going to come. Imagine all the confidence that you would have if you knew, I'm going to get an A on this test. I'm going to. Imagine the confidence. You're going to go in, sit down, take you, finish your test, no sweat at all. Men, imagine, no sweat at all. If you know, I'm going to, she's going to say yes. I mean, what else could she say? Imagine how much confidence you, or imagine you go into a job interview, and you're sweating, and you're nervous, and you're going, it's hot in here, boy. But imagine if you know before you go into that room, the job's yours. How much confidence are you going to walk into that room with? If you know what the future holds, there's security. There's peace that comes from that. I think some of us in this room, truth be told, we're probably not even sure uh, if we really believe the Christian gospel. I mean, yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus. I believe he's there. I find the Christian ethic compelling. I mean, it's good. It's a good life, right? It's better uh, to live this way. Uh, Humility, sacrifice, loving service. Oh, those are great things. But at the same time, surrendering to Jesus everything? uh, Viewing Jesus as my king? That's a bit much. I I mean, really, honestly, we really do love the world. We really do love the immediate gratification the world gives. We really do love... Uh, the values of shaped by lust and pride and greed and self-interest. We really do love those things. Well, friends, imagine, and maybe you're on that fence today. If you know what the end is going to be, it'll help you off that fence. It, it will help you. If all of us in our day-to-day lives, the stress, the anxieties of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, Zacharias tells us we do know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen maybe tomorrow, but in the big picture, we do know what the future holds. We do know what's going to happen. We do understand this. And so uh, Zechariah has been pointing, you remember, he's been pointing uh, 
these, he's been speaking to these people. They've returned from exile. They've come to Jerusalem. The temple is not being built very fast. They've kind of been slow, and uh, they've been oppressed by enemies from the outside and their own sins from the inside. And there's all kind of turmoil that's taking place. And he has directed their, their eyes to not the last day, but for them, a day that was in the future, that the Messiah was coming. The shepherd king, he was, gonna, he was coming. He pointed them to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, lift your eyes from these present circumstances. Lift your eyes. The Messiah is coming. The shepherd is coming. He's going to do that. But now, Zechariah says, lift your eyes up even a little further. Further down the horizon... Gaze. Exiles return to Jerusalem. Gaze at what's going to occur at the very end. You in this room today, gaze at what's going to occur in that distant horizon, at the conclusion of all time, all history. And so Zechariah wants to help us, I think, help us off that fence to bend our knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to tell us, and this is the glory of it, this is how it's going to end up. And we're going to see it this week, and we're going to see it next week. All right? Today, we're just going to focus on verses 1 through 11. And in 1 through 11, three main parts that we see. We're going to see Christ return. We're going to see creation renewed. And we're going to see a city restored. Let's walk through each of those. You, you can keep your Bible open. We're just going to walk right through the passages, starting with verses 1 through 5. So notice the scene opens in verses 1 through 2, 1 and 2 there. And this is a terrible scene. This is a devastating, just hard, hard, disturbing picture, right? This Jerusalem, the city of God, it's overwhelmed by brutality, the brutality of the nations. So what happens? Their goods are taken, uh, they're plundered, their houses are plundered, their women are being abused. They are, it's a new exile that's being imposed. So imagine if you're Zachariah's original hearers and, and your grandparents remember when, when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and, and wipes out and takes our people off to Babylon. They remember that. Now he's talking about another exile? Are you, so this is depressing news. This is discouraging news. This is a distressing message. Zechariah's talking about another defeat? Are you kidding me? Now, verse 2 says, well, there is going to be a remnant that remains. So that's a good thing. But that's really a small comfort when you think, when you walk through that, Right? that these nations are gathered to battle and they're going to plunder our houses and take our city and rape our women. Half the city's gone into exile. Okay, great for that remnant, but what about the rest of us? This is a disappointing message. As Zechariah, we saw last time, he wants us to have our, the right expectations. And so here it is, as we face the future... Here's what he sets out. Here's the world's final response to the people of God. Rejection, opposition, hostility, violence, exclusion, and exile. 
That's the world's final disposition towards God's people. So, there have been marvelous moments in in the history of the world of, of gospel influence, gospel revival. We've seen that taking place. I am persuaded that, and I'm encouraged that there will be sweet seasons still to come if the Lord tarries, where the gospel goes out powerfully and marvelously. But do not ever think that the nations wholesale are going to turn and love the Lord and his people. Because they're not. The world hates Christ. The world hates Christianity. Friends, we see that in our own culture, in our country. We see that. So, look at verse 3. Right when the clouds of suffering and persecution, man, those clouds are heavy and dark and it blots out. It's almost entirely dark. Right at that moment, a light pierces into the darkness right here. Here's, here's the high watermark of worldly opposition. They're taking, they're plundering, they're abusing, they're doing all that. Just then, what happens? The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Here's the Lord, the warrior God, and he goes out. All the rage of the world is going to end how? It's going to dash itself to pieces like waves breaking on a rock of divine wrath, justice. Uh, He is going to bring this to an appropriate right end. He's the judge and the warrior God. Look at verses 4 and 5. It tells us more about that day. Although it's a little bit obscure. Like, huh, what's this all about? Verse 4, the Lord will stand on the Mount of Olives. He will split the mountain in two and make a valley between this mountain, right? Verse 5, God's people are going to flee through that valley and find safety. References, you notice that, a reference to an earthquake during the time of King um, Uzziah in the middle of the 8th century B.C., this great earthquake. The the Jewish people know about it. It is part of their their, their, uh, history. And he references that. Hey, this last earthquake is going to be like that earthquake, only much larger. Like Uzziah's earthquake, the people of God, they're going to now flee and have a way of escape. Now, this language that's being used is, what the language Zechariah uses, is apocalyptic imagery. Big word. All I mean by that is he uses natural phenomena to draw our attention, to teach us a lesson, to show us true things. So... I have seen so many pictures in my lifetime of like this, this scene trying to be depicted where they'll be like, uh, oh, here's, here, here's uh, the Mount of Olives. And see, it's split. See, here's, they, they'll draw a river coming down through it. Well, listen, Zachariah's point is not for you to marvel at topo, uh, uh, topological change, all right? 
don't, don't be so amazed at the seismic effects here at the end of the world, of earthquakes and those types of things. That's not the point. Zechariah wants you to understand, and here's the main point, that God, the Lord God, he will move heaven and earth to protect and to keep his people safe. That's what he's going to do. That, that's the description. And, and he uses this graphic, powerful, concrete imagery here. All right? The presence of God in the last day. Even the very fabric of creation itself is going to be used in the defense of his children. Even amidst the worst opposition, the worst hostility, the worst violence that the world can throw at it. Okay? So it's, it's um, apocalyptic imagery. But we do have some very specific things mentioned, right? Why is he... Th- and he could have just said a mountain. He doesn't say just a mountain. He says the Mount of Olives. So I think that's very important, right? He specifically says that. Think, what's happened at the Mount of Olives? Well, lots of things in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23. The first exile, when the captives are taken away into Babylon. The glory of the Lord departs from the temple of Jerusalem. And this is what Ezekiel says. It stood on the mountain on the east of the city, the Mount of Olives. Here in Zechariah 14, the message is, the Lord who departed from this mountain has now at long last returned to this mountain for his people, and he will never leave them again. He'll never leave them again. The Mount of Olives, you just think of uh, Jesus in his earthly ministry with, in, during his first advent. During his public ministry, how often uh, the Mount of Olives um, comes into play. And it is from this very mountain in Acts chapter 1 verse 12 where we're told that Jesus ascends into heaven. Remember that scene? Jesus ascends into heaven, into the clouds. The disciples, what are the disciples doing? Right? Mouth open. Jaws dropped. They can't believe it. And they're reminded, in the same way you saw Jesus leave, he's going to return in the very same way. Remember that? Now, verses 4 or 5 of Zechariah 14. We see, we're, we're just being pointed. Here's the same moment, right? The Lord who left in this way, from this place, he will return. And when he does, all exile will be over. All of it will be over. All opposition is going to be undone on that day. And then notice Zechariah says, Then the Lord my God will come. I got tickled with Scott was reading. That's the same phrase Paul uses. The my God. You hear that? It becomes personal, right? This is not saying God is going to come. He says, My God is going to come. And so the Lord, my God, is like he can't even contain his joy at this at this moment because the Lord, my God, is going to come and all of his holy ones with him. He's going to come. He's going to come back just the way he went. You know that? Do you know that? 
I don't know if you do or not. Here, he is. His feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives once again. At the close of history, every eye is going to see him. Justice is going to be done. All the angels will be with him. All the saints who have gone before us, they will be with him. They will be joined with all the, the whole church that remains, the, the suffering church here on earth. And on that last day, we will all be triumphant because Christ has this victory procession when he comes and he touches down on the Mount of Olives. Friends, it is here that you should shout hallelujah. It is here that every saint in this room should say, even so, come Lord Jesus. You don't feel like it today. You don't feel like it. So, that's fine. I tell you Jerry Tutt. Jerry Tutt was my driving instructor when I was in high school. Jerry Tutt, marvelous guy. One of the great lessons Jerry Tutt taught us was when you're driving, do not look at the road right in front of your car. You know what? Keep your eyes up here, on the horizon, looking out. You look out here, and the car is going to follow wherever your eyesight goes. You look to the horizon, your car is going to follow where your eye is. Zachariah is saying something similar to us today. And so maybe you don't feel like saying, hallelujah, come Lord Jesus. Maybe you are just, I'm weary of it, I'm tired of it. Maybe you are kind of like out of sorts and out of place. Maybe you're dangerously, you're veering off, of course, in the Christian life. And maybe it's because you haven't fixed your eyes on that horizon. Your eyes are only immediately right in front of you. The circumstances here and now, right now, that's, that's all you see is what's right before you. But you need to look further ahead. You need to raise your eyes to the horizon. You need to look out. See the horizon line. And the trajectory of your life is going to follow your gaze. If you're only looking at your immediate context, friends, only looking at those circumstances, you will find yourself dangerously out of sorts and, and, and out of line. So look to the horizon. What horizon? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. Do you believe that? That's the question. Do you believe he's coming back? One day, justice is going to be done. One day, everything sad is going to be untrue. Everything. One day, every wound is going to be healed. One day, every tear is going to be wiped from our eyes. One day, Jesus is coming back. So look to the horizon, fix your eye there, position it there, and let that correct our path. You'll find yourself avoiding obstacles along the way. 
When? When we remember that the end is coming. That tomorrow is not final. I'm looking to a greater day. I'm looking for when Christ will come. And that he's going to come soon. That he is going to keep me until that day. When you feel like you're going to yank your hair out. When you feel all the stress and anxiety. I can't stand it. Know that the Lord is going to move heaven and earth for the sake of his people. When's the last time you thought about Jesus coming back? When's the, la- when's the last time you thought, thought about that? Have you become so overwhelmed with yesterday, today, and tomorrow that you haven't lifted your eyes to that horizon line and you haven't thought about the Lord Jesus returning? Maybe you've been so fixated on Fox or CNN or Newsmax or MSNBC. You've been so fixated on those kind of things. You really need to lift your eyes. I, I appreciate my brother said, man, he quit watching those news things and he just felt better because of that. Maybe you're so fixated on the news. You need to be reminded, oh, that's not, here's how it ends. Here's what it looks like. Remember the final end when Christ's victory is going to be revealed. And cling to him and trust him. Remember his promise and live in the light of Christ's return because he's coming soon. Second thing, notice the creation is going to be remade. So Jesus comes, right? And he's not just coming, when he comes, it's not just putting wrongs right and injustices aren't just being fixed on this evil world. That's not the only thing that takes place. The whole cosmos, the whole world is going to respond to the second coming of Christ in a radical renovation, a massive overhaul, right? So look at verses 6 and 7. On that day, there shall be no light, cold, or frost. Now, I want to say, this is a, this is a difficult passage. If you, a lot of scholars say, just say, we have no idea here. In fact, if you look at, in your ESV on the, uh, in the footnote of the Pew Bible there, if you have that, you'll notice the uh, footnote 2 just says... Uh, The Hebrew is unsure. Let me translate that. That's a theological way to say, I don't don't know. (laughs) I, I, I don't have a clue. I think this is a better and more clear way. And it when we use clear passages of Scripture to help us understand those difficult parts, and I think that's what 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 we should do. So verse six. Read it this way. On that day there shall be no light. The precious ones, that is the stars, will will congeal or grow dim. And the stars will cease to give their light at the coming of the Lord. They're going to stop shining. Isaiah 13 verse 10 says, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. And the sun will be dark at, at its rising. And the moon will not shed its light. 
Joel 13, verse 15, says, The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Matthew 24, verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. So when the second coming of Jesus Christ arrives, creation itself undergoes an astonishing upheaval. This is what verse 7, and then shall come a unique day. This is an unprecedented day. So a day when the Lord comes, and when he comes, there's going to be a new light that dawns. So no longer do you need the sun and the moon and the stars. You don't need those things anymore. So no longer night and day because there's not going to be a sun and a moon. But we're told in evening time there's going to still be light. Well, how's that happen? If you don't have a sun and moon and stars, how are you going to have light in the evening? Well, friends, creation is being remade here. Go all the way back, back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember the ordering? Remember, go back to your Sunday school classes. When youngest, remember the order. Light was made first. Before the heavenly bodies. Light is made before the sun and moon and stars. So, well, in the new creation, in the new heavens, the new earth, there's light once more, but no heavenly bodies. Revelation 21, 23 says, The city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So it's reminiscent, right, of that original creation. There's no sun in the sky, no moon, but there's light. Also like the original creation. There's this river. Remember, in creation, there was this river that flowed through Eden. So here, in verse 8, a mighty river runs through this city. Ezekiel 47, the prophet Ezekiel, he foresaw a day when, when there would be a renewed temple and this river would, of living water would flow out, life-giving water. It would flow in such strength and such potency that when it got to the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea, that salt water would be made fresh water and it would be filled with life, teeming with life. The temple in Ezekiel's vision Sort a kind of Eden restored, a sanctuary in which God would again meet with his people. Zechariah is hitting the same theme, only it's not a garden and it's not a temple. Here it's a new city, right? The new Jerusalem. And from this new Jerusalem flows this river of life. All of these images, right? Eden, temple, city, all of these images, they combine, don't they, in the book of Revelation. It's really just a, a, a complimentary description of the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus returns, this is what it says, Revelation 22, verses 1 and, uh, 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright 
is crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, uh, the tree of life with its twelve kind of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. God is going to make creation new one day. When Jesus comes back, everything's going to be turned upside down and made over. Death, decay, all those things excluded. They're not allowed in. The world is going to be filled with life and light. And at its center, at the center of all that life, at the center of all that light is Jesus Christ, the throne of God and the Lamb. And those, uh, from them flow all light. All life, all existence, everything, the whole cosmos, everything is going to be centered on him. He will be our sun and our moon. He will be our unending fountain of soul-satisfying living water. Everything in this new created order is going to be so configured. The whole thing is built around him. That's what we have to look forward to. We will be in complete dependence upon him. And here's the astonishing thing. That's to come. There's a great phrase. Already, not yet. That hasn't happened yet. But it's already available. That life, it's already available. To taste something. It, we don't know the, the final thing yet, but we taste something of that glorious reality right here and right now ahead of time. So John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus says, you, so you can taste that life-giving water ahead of time. This is what he says, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The river of life. Christian, the river of life is already flowing to believers' hearts. Right now, the New Jerusalem under construction already has this life-giving supply of grace flowing from the throne of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every heart that trusts him, he can be satisfied. His soul can be satisfied. Drink. Be satisfied. Let your thirst be quenched. He'll be perf perfectly to all that uh, dwell with him in glory. He, he will satisfy us finally on the day, but right now it flows from him and it's available to all who would come to him. So come to the fountain and drink. Come. This is how Isaiah preaches the gospel. Come without money, without price. Come, drink. Drink it. Drink to your, the infinite satisfaction of your heart. You come to Christ and you find life. He's going to, uh, creation is going to be remade. Final thing, the city is restored. Look at verses 10 and 11. Here's, here's another cataclysmic reordering, right? The landscape. Oh, only this time, 
The point is not God's providing an escape route for the suffering church. No, this time it's to demonstrate absolute security and supremacy of the church now that the Lamb has won his final victory. All the hills leveled. The landscape all around becomes a great plain. But the new Jerusalem, so imagine, all flat, but there's one elevated place. One place. And every eye can see it. Everyone can look at it. It's the new Jerusalem. It will be filled, we're told in verse 11. Citizens will be there. And never again this decree of destruction, or as Revelation 22 verse 3 says, nothing accursed will ever enter it. So no more curse in that city. And it will dwell, the church, the people of God, will dwell in the new Jerusalem, complete, unending security, peace. No division, no tension, no tension between Christians, none of it, all gone. No tension between believers' hearts, it won't be there. No friction, peace, security, unity. Jerusalem, at the end of verse 11, Jerusalem shall dwell in security. Friends, this is what heaven will mean. Wonderful unending, perfect security. Why? Why? Security is not found in a place. You say, well, if only I get to heaven, then I'll be safe. No. Wasn't so with Satan. <laughs> he was cast down. He was, he was thrown out. Security is found in a person, right? In a person. Why? Why is Jerusalem... So safe. Why is it so peaceful? Look at verse 9. Here's the reason. The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So the king, is he king now? Yes. Is he one now? Yes. Deuteronomy 6.4, remember the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's already won, but Zechariah is saying in that day when, when he reigns this unique claim that he is God alone, it's going to be uncontested, unrivaled. All false gods are going to be brought low. All empty religion is going to cease. Every idol is going to be shattered. That God is going to reign in Christ by the Spirit forever and ever. World without end, amen and amen. Because his rule is uncontested now. His victory, absolute, total, complete. Every child is going to rest secure, unmolested, undisturbed in the face of joy. Because we're going to be with our Savior. And that's where our security stands. That's where security comes from. It's a person, Christ. And what happens? Fear dies. Anxieties wither away. When you know your destiny is secure. With the people in Zechariah's day, they lived in a city. It bore evidence, right? 
political and military uh, insecurity. They faced opposition and false religions and, and deep discouragement and divisions. And the prophet says, hey, this is how it's going to all turn out. This is what's going to happen. He shows them the perfect victory of the Lamb. And he shows us the perfect victory of the Lamb. He shows us the justice of God among the nations. Friends, we have to meditate more on heaven's eternal joys than what we have been. We have to set our minds there. That will be the antidote for a world of misery and fear and anxiety. Set your mind on heaven's eternal joys. That will dispel life's temporary fears. Set your mind on heaven's eternal joys. You are not your own president and not the own king of your life. There is a king who will protect and keep you safe. You can rest secure in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Set your eyes on him. Keep your eyes there. Don't let them wander. Don't let them stray. Set your eyes. Fix your gaze on that horizon line. Let us be reminded. Let us be corrected that we might make it safely home. That we will get there. Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess that we often take our eyes off of Jesus. We swerve lanes. We go into the ditch. Lord, would you rivet our gaze upon Christ? upon his victory, upon his triumph, upon, upon his coming soon. Lord, we long for the day of Christ's coming. We pray with the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, while we wait, would you give us grace to fix, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, endured the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Help us consider him who endured so much opposition from sinful men that we may not grow weary, that we may not lose heart, but, Lord, that we would run the race, we would make this journey with perseverance, with a road uh, that we would stay set on course to the journey's end. And so, Lord, hear us. I pray that you would comfort, comfort us. Would you encourage us? Would you help us find our, our strength, our peace, not from our own strength and wisdom, but in the victory of the Lamb who is coming soon. And we ask this in his holy name. Amen and amen.